We're in a season where things just feel a little bit different. Whose routine has been different the last couple of months than the previous several months, right? All of us, things have been just a little bit different, and we're having to find new ways to do the things that we want to or need to do. That's very true in, in my house as well. And so not too long ago, Chelsea wanted to find a way to connect with her friends, right? And Zoom wasn't cutting it anymore, and the phone calls weren't cutting it anymore. And so she had a party at our house, socially distant and safe, following the rules party on the back porch, all the chairs at least six feet apart. And so several of her friends are out there, and they're sharing their hearts and talking about life and having a chance to connect. The boys that were already asleep, I was in my room reading something, and all of a sudden I hear this huge commotion out on the back porch. It just got really, really loud, and I just sort of laughed, ignored it, and went back to reading. And then my phone rang, and it was Chelsea calling me. And I was like, why is she calling me? She's right outside the window. And I answered it. I was like, Hello? And she said, you got to get out of here right now. I was like, what is going on? And apparently there was a mouse on our back porch um, that was running around. And it caused a big stir and a big commotion. In fact, kids, um, raise your hand if your mom would be a little nervous if she saw a mouse running around in your house. All of you? All right. Okay, now one more question. Raise your hand if your dad would be a little nervous. Anybody telling? Oh, they told on you. Kretzinger, they told on you. Right? So here's the deal. I went outside and Chelsea was a little nervous. Um, not all of the girls were, but a lot of them were. And so I stepped into a situation that was full of commotion and there was a lot of chatter and a lot of going around. And I realized, okay, I've got to do something about this, right? I stepped into a situation where I had to respond. There was no ignoring it. There was no escaping it. There was no getting away from it. I had to do something, right? Have you ever been there where you step into the middle of a situation and you've got to do something, right? You can't ignore it and you can't walk away from it. You're there and now you're stuck and now you have to address whatever it is that's right in front of you, right? A what now kind of moment where you begin to think, what's my next move? What is this going to look like? And, and maybe you've, you've been in a situation like that with a mouse or something like that in your house, but, but more than likely, we're all in a much more serious situation than that right now with, with everything that's going on in our world, where we have to begin thinking, what now? What next? What is this going to look like? What is our path forward? Because it's not always clear. I think that, that the current state of our world has showed us that. The way forward is not always paved. The road can be bumpy. And so we've got to answer the question, where do we start? And as we open our Bibles this morning, we're going to see a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had that moment, right? He was hit with news, much more serious than a mouse. He was hit with news that, that took him to his knees, right, that broke his heart. And we get to see from God's word how he responded to a situation just like that. So if you've got a Bible, open up to the book of Nehemiah. And as you do, but before we look at Nehemiah, I want to make sure that we understand what's going on in that book. Because more than likely, it's not, you know, normally in our flow and reading plan. So just to catch us up on a few basics of the book of Nehemiah, God told his people that they were going to have a promised what? Promised land, right? And, and they got the promised land. And when they moved into it, he said, hey, listen, if you guys obey me and listen to what I tell you to do, things are going to be awesome. But if you don't obey me, things are going to not, not be awesome anymore. And at some point, you'll be taken over. And people will remove you from this land if you don't obey me. Well, over time, God's people, they stopped obeying. And exactly what God said happened. 
they were removed from the promised land. A, a group of people called the Assyrians, they took out the northern part of Israel, and then later the Babylonians took out the southern part, and that's where Jerusalem was. And the Babylonians carried back everyone that they thought would bring value to them. They started with the politicians. I'm not sure why they thought the politicians would bring value, but they took the politicians, and then they took everybody else that could work and do things for them in their kingdom. They took the skilled labor. They took the musicians. They took the artists. They took all of the smart and educated people and removed them from Jerusalem, from Israel, and took them way, way, way across the kingdom to Babylon. The temple where the people worshipped was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. The gates were destroyed. And the people that were left lived in a very broken down, depressing city for a long, long time. Okay, but then something else happened, and, and this is a, just a, another world history moment. The Persians came to power, and by the, by the hand of God, the Persians took out the Babylonians. And that was the hand of God, and we know that because the Persians, right as soon as they took power, you know what they did? They said, hey, all of you Israelites, God's chosen people, you can go home. You don't have to stay here anymore. You, you can do whatever you want to do. You can stay, and that's fine, or you can go home, and that's fine too. And so when that happened, of course, Israelites began to go home because they wanted to be home. Just like when the doors of the church were open, we came into the church because we want to be at church, right? They wanted to go home, and a big part of them wanting to go home was so that they could worship where they felt like God called them to worship, right? So 60 years of captivity and then they're allowed to go home. And they return home in waves, not all at once. Again, pretty similar to us, right? Waves of us coming in. One of the first waves back was this man named Ezra. And he took people back, and his goal was to rebuild the temple where people worshipped. Went well for a while, and then he faced some opposition and, and sort of fell apart there at the end. And another wave of people that went back were led by a guy named Nehemiah. That's who this book is about, right? The man Nehemiah. That's where we pick up chapter one, a Jewish man living in exile, not where he's from, not his hometown. He, he's living, serving a Persian king in exile. So with that background, chapter one, verse one says this, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Anybody wish that their name was Hakaliah? Rossi? Imagine writing that on your paper every morning, right? No, right? The son of Hakaliah. It happened in the month of Chislev, that's not on my calendar or yours, but that's November, December. Like, it's wintertime when this is going on, uh, and that's important. We'll get to that next week. In the 20th year, I was in Susa the Citadel, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain people from Judah. Judah, southern part of Israel, where Jerusalem is. So he came from, like, the central hub of the people of God back to Persia, right? So it says he escaped, they survived the exile, and he asked about those concerning Jerusalem. And in verse 3, it's, it's a very pivotal moment. They said to Nehemiah, the remnant or the people that were in the province that had survived the exile is in great trouble and great shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah hears this, and the question had to pop into his head, what now? What am I supposed to do with, 
with the information that I'm heard, right? His what now moment that he has stepped into the middle of, it's much bigger than a mouse. It's much bigger than a lot of the things that we deal with. He hears that the hub of the people of God, the place where they worshiped, that the walls are broken, the gates are destroyed. And, and that, that signifies two things for a city back then. It signifies great danger for all of those that are living in it. And it signifies great shame because they as a people could not keep the walls intact to preserve their families and what was there. So two, two major symbols, danger and shame. And so because of that, man, Nehemiah is absolutely broken. And I want us to make sure that we pay attention to how Nehemiah found out about that. If you look back in verses 2 and 3, we see that he found out through a simple conversation. And, and for us, that's the power of a conversation. He would not have known about the trouble they faced. He would not have known about the city unless he slowed down to talk to the people that had come back from the city. And to me, it's just a reminder of what happens in real life when we have real conversations with the people that God places in our lives. When we talk about more than just the Astros or more than just the weather or, or more than just our school, when we talk about what God's doing in our heart. When we talk about the serious things, our, our struggles, our joy, our heartache, our excitement, all of that kind of stuff, when we do that, man, God allows us to have this moment where we have a heart connection with other people so that the point here is just engage people. Or when people try to engage you, don't shut them out, right? Let people go deep in your life. I was sitting on an airplane a couple of years ago, and I was reading my Bible in the, the middle seat. Chelsea was in the, the window seat, and this guy sat down next to me, and he asked me a question. And we could just sort of sense and tell, God, God's doing something in this guy's heart for him to ask a question like that. The easy thing would be answer the question and go back to read and let him put his headphones back in. But, but we engaged him, right? And, and a little while later, at 35,000 feet, the guy trusted Christ right there in the airplane because of the power of of a conversation. Not too long ago, a student in our student ministry called me and said, hey, I, I don't know what to do. This is going on. And what happened was the student was talking to a friend because the friend seemed a little down. And our student just kept pressing and saying, no, tell me really what's going on. Where, where's your, what, what's wrong right now? You just seem off. There's something different. And our student was able to figure out that their friend was in a position where they were really considering hurting themselves in a pretty major way. And they were able to call some parents and a pastor and intervene. And the power of a conversation in that sense literally saved this other student's life. Listen, we see right here the power of a conversation. And God given us the, the ability, even while we're separated from people, to have real and meaningful conversations. Nehemiah had a, a real and meaningful conversation right here. And when he did, he, he learned some, some pretty heartbreaking news about his homeland. And it got his heart, right? It, it broke his heart. And as I read this, the, the thing that sort of jumped to my mind that, that I asked myself was this, uh, what, what is it that breaks my heart? I think it's a fair question to ask all of us. What is it that really, truly breaks our hearts? When we see things in the world, what, what is it that, that captivates us? What is it that, that God says, you know what, don't, don't move off that. Really think through what's going on here. Maybe another way to, to, to ask the question is, what is this that just bothers you? I was waiting to see if one of my kids was going to point to one of their siblings. They didn't. Um, what, what, what is it that, that bothers us? that stirs up something inside of us. We see something and we, we just think that's not right, that that can't be okay. We, we can't let it go on like that. And I think that God puts those things on our minds 
in, in our hearts. We, we could probably go around if, if we know each other well enough and name. You know what? These are the things that really bother you. This is the way that God's wire you. These are the passions that God's put in your heart to when you see something that is not right, you respond and you step in to make it right. A guy named Robin Guest, y'all have heard this story a million times the last several years, came to take pictures of a golf tournament in the Champions Golf Club 50 years ago. And you know what bothered him? There wasn't a church anywhere around for believers to gather or to reach the community. It bothered him. It broke his heart. And you know what he did? He planted Champion Forest Baptist Church 50 years ago because something bothered him. Something broke his heart, right? So as we think about that, I, I know that there's probably something for all of us. And there's going to be seasons where, where we go through it, where we, there's just something that bothers us about the way things are or about the way that things are headed in certain directions. And here's what I hope that, that we all understand reading the book of Nehemiah, and that's that God uses moments like that to birth something inside of us, to birth something out of us, to generate vision in our mind and in our hearts, right? God's always working in those seasons, and, and he gives us that vision of when we see something that's not right of what could be or what should be, and he uses it to push us forward to accomplish his will, right? In fact, that's how Andy Stanley describes vision. Here's his definition, a picture of what could be or what should be, and that's where Nehemiah is at. Right? He, he's in this current situation where God has gripped his heart. He sees something that's not good. He sees something that's not right. He sees something that, that needs to be fixed, and, and he's got a choice to make. He's in that moment again of what now? Right? Where in the world does he start? Look at verse 4, and we'll see where he starts. Verse 4 says this, and it, again, it's Nehemiah. As soon as I, Nehemiah, heard these words, I sat down and I wept. He, he falls to the floor. He begins to cry. It says he mourned for days. This was not a short-lived thing. This was a true heart moment. He says, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So as we begin to think, what now? What are we supposed to do? God's word is very clear that our first step is to go before him in prayer. There, there's no real further explanation needed or interpretation. We see in verse 4 that he saw a problem and he took it straight to God and prayer. And here's a very elementary uh, way, way to, to think about this. When there's a problem, we immediately pray about it, right? He didn't know I was going to do this, so this might not work. Hey, Will, can you hear me, buddy? Answer a question for me. When we're driving in the car and an ambulance or a fire truck goes by, what do we do? We pray, right? We pray just like that. Every time we see something go by, we pray for it. Why? Because we know there's a problem. And we know that, that God can take care of any problem that we see or that we feel, right? And, and so that's that thing that we learn from the time that we're little, and it stays with us all our lives. When we see something that's not right, when we see a problem, we immediately take it before God in prayer. That's what Nehemiah did, right? So you read verse 4, and you saw that he wept and that he mourned for days. He took it to God in prayer. And here's a question that I want you to stew on a little bit, because this literally drives the entire narrative of the book of Nehemiah. Why did he care? He mourned for days. Right? He, he collapses on the floor. He is broken by this. It's been at least 60 years since he's been there. He might have never been there. He might have been born in Babylon. I mean, it's been a long time since he's been there. He didn't live there. He didn't go back in any of the first waves when the Persians allowed them to start going back. So why does, why does this man care so much about a city 
that he hasn't been in in a very, very long time? Here's the answer, right? And again, it drives the entire book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was passionate about the kingdom of God, right? That's it. He's passionate about the kingdom of God. Jerusalem was the spiritual home for the people of God. Even with them not there, that they would cast their eyes and their hearts back towards Jerusalem as, a, as an act, as a sign of submission to God, as a sign of worship towards God. The temple of God, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, right? As God's presence among his people, it's destroyed. And, and right, so that brings him to his knees. He's passionate about the kingdom of God, and he's heartbroken that proper worship of God was not happening. And here's the deal with the book of Nehemiah. A lot of people take leadership and life principles from the book of Nehemiah, and they talk about uh, having a vision or accomplishing a project and things like that. And all of those things are fine, but we need to remember that all of this is driven by a passion for the kingdom of God. Not himself, not his stuff, not his things, not his future. He is driven by a passion for the kingdom of God. And a convicting question that God sort of brought to my mind for myself, and I'll allow you to be convicted by it as well as this, is do I share that same passion for the kingdom of God? He saw where the kingdom of God wasn't moving forward, and it crippled him, like to his knees on the floor, right, this sense of mourning. What about me when I see areas and places where the kingdom of God is it moving forward? What about me when, when I see scenarios where people aren't able to worship the way that God's called us to worship? Listen, if, if we love God, if we're passionate about the advance of the gospel and about people having a relationship with God, all of us as followers of Jesus, we're going to feel this sorrow, this, this thing in our hearts when we see that the spread of the gospel is halted, when we see people not having access to the gospel. And I think that reading this will be disciplined to begin to fast and to pray for the kingdom of God to advance and to move forward. And I think that we can all think of areas just like that where we know the kingdom of God needs to move forward. Maybe it's our neighborhood. Maybe it's our school. Maybe it's in the hearts of a couple people that we care deeply about. And we want the kingdom of God to move in a powerful way right there. God's word shows us this morning any area like that that he's bringing to our minds, our what now is to pray that the kingdom of God would advance. And that's what he did. Look at verse 5. He said, oh, Lord, God of heaven. He's praying right now. This is, this is to God, not to us. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Right? His prayer starts straight vertical. Right? He, he is going to God, and his prayer is an act of worship. Right? He's ascribing to God the worth of God, the praise of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God. Of God, And right at the beginning of his prayer, you see that he knows God is great. He knows that, that God is love, that he's over all, that he's faithful. And, and we see that as he opens up his prayer. I want you to understand this. He has a, a proper view of God. He's seeing God clearly. And to help us understand that, just do me a favor. Raise your hands if you wear glasses or contacts. Anybody? Glasses, contacts. Wow, more than a half of us wear glasses or contacts. Me too. If I took them out, I couldn't see my notes, and we'd be done a lot faster. Don't say anything about that. Um, so Dr. Spafford's back there, and he's at the end of this front section. Now, Andy and I have played catch with a baseball before, right? Because our Landon 
My eight-year-old is on the same team as Rossi back there, right? And so Andy and I have been on the field together, and we played catch. Andy's wearing glasses now, and I would imagine that his glasses help him see the ball as it's coming in, right? Rossi, if you snatched your dad's glasses off his face as the ball was almost to him, what do you think is going to happen? It's not going to be good, is it? Right? It might bop him right there in the middle of the face. Listen, here's the thing, right? Those glasses help him see the ball clearly so that he can respond and do what he needs to do as the ball is coming in. What we see in this book from the man Nehemiah is that Nehemiah sees God clearly. Okay, he's thinking about God in the right way. He sees God through the right lens. He doesn't have a special set of glasses to help him see and know who God is, but he has this. And you and I have this. This right here is how we know who God is. This right here is how we know that God is faithful, how we know that God keeps his promises. Nehemiah knew God's word. Nehemiah had soaked God's words up, and because of that, he prayed appropriately. Listen, we can't miss this. We see it in Nehemiah's life, and that's correct theology inspires bold prayer. Right? When we are thinking about God the right way, we're going to pray boldly. When we're thinking about God the right way, we're going to pray to God asking him to do things that we know only he can do. Listen, when we pray with a proper view of God, our prayer life becomes unlimited. Right? We pray for God to do the impossible because we know that he can. Nehemiah knew the truth about who God is, so he prayed boldly, asking God to do what God had already promised he would do. If you look at at verses 6 through 10, I don't have the time to read all of them right now, but, but Nehemiah goes on to continue his prayer. And he prays for some very specific things in that prayer. Nehemiah confesses before God and asks for his own personal sins to be forgiven. He acknowledges where he has sinned against God. And then he prays for the people of God and asks that God would forgive their sins as well. He acknowledges that they have sinned before God. And that's the reason they're in the situation that they're in. Not in Jerusalem. They've been carried away because of their sin before God. And then he prays and asks God to do what God had already promised he would do. And he's able to pray that because he knows the word of God and he sees God through the lens of the word of God as a God that keeps his promises. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, in Leviticus chapter 26, God says, listen, if you go away because of your sin and you turn your heart back to me, I'm going to remember my promises and I'm going to come get you. I'm going to bring you back to the land that I promised to give you in the first place. That's exactly what Nehemiah prays right here, right? So his prayer, it's super important. He knows that God will fulfill his promises, and that's what he's asking God to do. And if we move too fast through chapter one of Nehemiah, just to get to where he starts to rebuild this wall and and some of the action starts to happen, we miss something huge. We miss the fact that Nehemiah knew what to pray because he knew God's word. Right? And when we know God's word today, here now, 2020, in the midst of the coronavirus, in the midst of, of school canceled and work at home and, and just weird stuff going on, when we know God's word, what that does is it instills a passion in our hearts for God. It instills a passion in our hearts for the spread of the gospel and the kingdom of God. It inspires us to pray in alignment with the will of God, all because we know God's word. 
Nehemiah's mind and heart were full of the Bible, and so he knew right away that when he faced a what now moment, that prayer was his first response, not, not the last resort. So I think it's clear for us from God's word that prayer is always where we have to start. That is our foundation. But listen to this, because some people stop there. In Nehemiah, in his prayer, we also see this, is that prayer does not replace action. Okay, prayer does not replace action. Yes, we're called to pray. We see it right here in Scripture. But we're also called to move, to act, to go, to do. Whatever word you want to say there just needs to be a verb, right? What now? We pray and then we go. We pray and then we do. We pray and then we live out the will of God for our lives. It's right there in verse 11. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer. He knows that God's listening. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. We're going to talk about the cupbearer part next week, but, but he's asking God for success, right? He, he's going to move. He's going to do something about what is going on. His prayer leads him to a place of action. And here's a really cool thing. I just love the way that God's word ties together. That word for success, look at it in verse 11 right there. It's the exact same word that's used in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, same Hebrew word, just in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, where God tells us, everyone who delights in the law of the Lord, God will make everything that they do prosper. Everything that they do have success. Nehemiah is locked into the word of God, and he's asking God for success. God's already told us in his word in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, that everyone who delights in the law of the Lord, all that they do will prosper. Prayer and then action. Prayer and then moving. Prayer and then living out the word of God. So as we read this, just the, the question, what now? And we move. We get to work. We do what God has called us to do, but we can't move. We can't work without, li- or without making sure that we are in alignment with God's word. And when we are, when we do, his word says, all that we do will prosper. All right, so here's the recap. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah faces a moment where he realizes that the kingdom of God is not advancing. He realizes people aren't worshiping God the way that they're called to worship God. And he's got this moment where he's got to decide, what am I going to do? Because doing nothing was not an option. And we see for him that he prayed and that he went. He prayed and then he acted. He prayed and then he asked God for success. So for us today, we're not going back to Jerusalem. We're not rebuilding a wall. They're fine. They've got some walls up right now, right? But for us, in the midst of COVID-19 or coronavirus, our new normal, whatever that is, whatever that's going to be, our response right here, right now, our response to pain, our response to sin, our response to the gospel not advancing, to people not worshiping God, should be the same as we see right here from Nehemiah. Prayer and action. Okay, when we saw that mouse out on the porch, when I got the call to go outside, um, there was a big commotion outside. I opened the back door and I stepped out, and Chelsea was over here. Um, I don't what is panicked is the right is that the right word? Chelsea's a little panicked over here, sort of farther away from the mouse. The mouse is over here, and I had a decision to make. Right, I had to get in the middle and I had to do something. And so you know what I did? 
I said, y'all will be okay. And I went inside and I shut the door, right? I completely ignored the problem and everything was okay. But, but here's the deal, right? We can't do that with this, right? We can't do that with, with things that affect the kingdom of God. We, we can't do that with things that, that have spiritual significance and spiritual meaning. And honestly, right now in, in the middle of this COVID-19 stuff, well, we can't just shut the door and hope that we don't have to deal with it. All of us are in this moment where we're thinking, what now? What am I going to do next, and how am I going to live in the middle of everything that's going on? And in conclusion, here's my prayer for, for my family. Here's my prayer for, for our church family and for believers, right, for followers of Jesus that live on earth. And that's that our new normal, that our forever normal, no matter what's going on in the world, and I'm not talking about school, work, anything else like that, that, that our normal for whatever's going on in the world would be to pursue the glory of God through prayer that leads to action. That we would be a people, whether there, there's COVID-19 or there's something else that, that, that we're having to face as a world, as a community, as a church or whatever. That no matter what it is we face, through every other changing circumstance, the one constant, the one normal for our minds and our hearts is that we would be a people that would advance the kingdom of God through prayer that leads to action. So as we face these moments where God stirs in our hearts, where God breaks our hearts, where God gives us opportunity those two words, always in the front of our minds, prayer that leads to action. Can I pray for us? And just as we take a moment to bow our heads, I want to encourage you to think for a second about Nehemiah and about that situation he found himself in where he had to do something. And just the example that he set, going to the Lord in prayer first and knowing that as he prayed, God was going to use him, that God was going to move him to do something. So just think about your, your part of the world. Think about your family. Think about your community. Where is it that you know that the kingdom, that the gospel needs to advance? And my encouragement is that you would pray about that, that you would ask God to do what God said he can do. And that as you pray about it, know that, that God is calling you Yes, you, every single one of us, to do all that we can to see people trust Jesus right here on this earth. God, we love you, and God, I pray that that, that would be our new normal. God, the world around us is going to constantly change. It's going to change today, tomorrow. It's going to change a year from now. God, change is going to be constant. But God, I pray that our hearts and that our minds would be steadfast and that we would be a people that turn to you first in prayer and are moved into action so that no matter what else is going on in the world, that the kingdom of God would continue to advance. We love you, and we trust you, and God, we thank you for your word. God, pray that it would impact our hearts and our lives. In your name, amen.